When I made my first documentary, I didn't know I was making content. I just wanted to make it. Hi, I'm Joel Pilger, and you're listening to episode 51 of the Rev Thinking Podcast, the conversation between creative entrepreneurs who know the best way to deal with the future is to create it. Today's episode is a conversation with Neil Berkeley on the topic of how I moved into content. Welcome to Rev Thinking, the podcast for next generation creative entrepreneurs. Now, here is your host, Joel Pilger. Hello, everyone. It's Joel. Today is Wednesday, August 15th. Welcome to episode 51, today featuring Neil Berkeley. You know, if you run a studio, a production company, an animation house, maybe even an audio company, you probably want to get into content because everybody does. I don't know what it is. Yes, I do. Because when I ran my studio, I wanted to get into content. Yeah, it's just something about the creative entrepreneurs that create commercial short form promos and spots and, you know, digital content that we want to produce long form stories, contents, movies, all these kinds of things. But you know what? Few actually do it. And you know, this means you because you're probably working on some content yourself and it's taking a long time. How do you make this happen? How do you make this transition? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today on the podcast. Man, I'm pumped because today's guest is Neil Berkeley. He is the owner of Future You Media, as well as Berkeley. Well, I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. First of all, a couple quick announcements. Tomorrow, as in Thursday, August 16, Show Launcher is happening again. This is the quarterly masterclass in LA where you can be taught how to successfully sell your idea to audiences ready to buy it. And this is content, folks. Now, this uh, series is done in partnership with NatP, and tomorrow's session is being led by Patrick Jaeger, who's VP at NBC Universal Craftsy, and RevThink's own Tim Thompson. So the session tomorrow is called Perfecting the Pitch. It's from 7 to 10 p.m. at SAG-AFTRA, the foundation screening room. Now, the event, warning, is sold out. So I don't think you can get tickets anymore, but here's my encouragement. If you're going, make sure to get there early and get a seat because apparently there's going to be standing room only. So get there early, get there early, and don't blame me if you don't get a comfortable seat or a good view. Okay, next up podcast, we've got upcoming episodes. Just want to remind folks, got G-Monk, Chris Doe, and Marcel Zeul from State Design, all Going to be on the show soon, so make sure you're listening to hear those shows coming up. Going to be really, really fun having those guys when we can squeeze them in. Also, cohort kickoff dinners were a big success. We actually have a London chapter in the works now, so we'll keep you guys posted on that as well as upcoming dinners so that for those of you that are members of cohort, you'll know what's coming. And then last announcement. One week from yesterday, so on August 21st of next week, Jumpstart, my accelerator teaching up-and-coming creative firms how to reach the next level gets underway. Yes, class starts on Tuesday the 21st. It's the 10-week accelerator, and man, we're going to have a drinking from the fire hose journey of propelling your studio or production company or your agency to the next level. Can't wait. And for those of you that have signed up, I'm ready. I hope you're ready. It's going to be a great group. I think we have 10 or 11 enrolled, and they're from around the world, and they're from different uh, sectors, 
different spaces, different expertises. So it's going to be awesome. Okay, to today's episode. His IMDb says, Neil Berkeley is an Emmy-nominated filmmaker. His third feature film, Gilbert, chronicles the life and career of beloved and intensely private comedian Gilbert Gottfried. The film had its premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival in 2017. It goes on to say his second feature, Harmontown, premiered at South By in 2014. Finally, his first feature film, Beauty is Embarrassing, premiered at South by Southwest in 2012. Chronicling the life and times of inspiring artist Wayne White, the film won several Best Documentary Awards and was featured in PBS's Independent Lens. Okay, so you think, great, Neil Berkeley is a filmmaker, but not so fast, because here's what you don't know about Neil. That Neil is also a successful commercial and promo director running Berkeley, a design-based production company developing commercials, short-form branded content, and marketing campaigns for network and cable television. Sound familiar? Rev thinkers out there who follow the podcast. So he's worked with brands like Mercedes-Benz, Cadillac, Kraft Foods, and so on. But here's the thing. He also has helped launch some of TV's most popular shows, including Brother vs. Brother, Scandal, Project Runway, Top Chef, and many more. So how did Neil running a promo and commercial production company, make the move into developing content. Well, that's what we're going to talk about on the episode today. Enjoy. Neil, good to be with you. How are you today? I'm doing very well. <laughs> it's good to be with you. Yeah, thanks for, I, thanks, thanks for doing this. No, I'm excited because you and I have talked a number of times in the past about what I would call creative enterprises. Yeah. And you struck me as a really interesting person because you're creative at heart, but also you're into a lot of things business-wise. Yeah. And then as I started to hear your story about what you're doing in content, I immediately said, whoa, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. This is something that a lot of people aspire to do. So I needed, I needed to like get, get with you and get your story. Yeah. In fact, um, <clears throat> my mantra throughout my entire career has been fake it till you make it. And I started out in this business in the design and broadcast graphics as a producer. Like I wasn't really oh, a creative. As a it's I, I was working for a guy who uh, had a design studio doing a lot of work for Disney, and I was barely a producer. I was like a glorified intern, right? It was a small shop, and eventually he said, "Can you produce everything?" And okay. I said, "Yeah, I will." And I said, "Oh, can I direct that thing?" So I was kind of directing, but mostly producing and like making budgets and making sure things got done on time. And he decided to get out of the business and said, "I'm going to get out of this business. If you want to call my clients, go ahead." So I, bu I bounced around for a little bit and just kind of let you like dug ditches and did whatever I could. And then finally one day called his clients and they said, hey, we, good timing. We just sold a couple shows. If you no can get way. a team, they're yours. And it was Project Runway and Project Greenlight. And, and were that, you doing the promo work? We did. No, we did the broadcast packages. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, but, yeah. but my gimmick was, okay, if you hire me to do your broadcast package, we're going to do it. We're, there's going to be a live action element. Because okay. I wanted to get into con I wanted to get into live action directing. And what, about what year was this? This is two thousand two three. Okay, it's so it's still very. So this yeah. was when live action was very much like separating the men from the boys. Yeah. In fact, we, I uh, again fake it till you make it. Didn't really know what I was doing. Sure. We shot with Heidi Klum on a roll of seamless, basically butcher paper, eight by butcher seamless in a room full of dress forms. Like it was. No one knew what that show was, and halfway through. I said, hey, I want them to be holding uh, bolts of fabric 
um, do you have those? And they go, ask that guy over there. And it was Tim Gunn. Like, they didn't no know way. who he was. That's how early this was. So was this season one or two? Season before season one. This is like, this is this like the development phase. Yeah. Whoa. They they didn't even know if it was going to be a hit. And it came out, you know, guns blazing, of course. So Tim Gunn got mistaken for a PA. Yeah. And when it was four episodes before they decided who he would be uh, on the show. Like, like, hey, this guy's interesting. But right. yeah, no, it was me and Tim Gunn. Hey, oh, this is nice. Try this one. Right. Like, he had no, they, they didn't know he was. And so that launched my company. And then, you know, we, we started doing, we do all the top chefs. We did all the Real Housewives and have done every season almost. Um, we've done tons of work for NBC. So that, those two shows launched my whole graphic design, broadcast design career. So I'm curious because I don't know very many people that have come through that point of entry call meaning i was a producer and then i became a creative and shifted to the creative so what why why did that work there is a step in between there so when i started that company i started with a partner and that lasted about three and a half years and he was the creative director i was the ep but i was directing all of our live action and when that ended i was like okay i'm a creative i'm gonna i'm gonna do this again I'm going to be the creative director. Right. So I'm going to, I'm going to be the guy that does it because I kept wanting to do that and realized I could do it. And there's a lot of like, <clears throat> again, naivete mixed with ego mixed with a wanting to do it. And I said, I'm going to do it. I, I don't, I'm going to be the guy. I'm going to all the response. I'm going to, I called my company Berkeley after, with my last name. Right. I was like, whatever. It's me now. You know, it's like, if it fails, it's all on me. And was that scary or was that sort of like, uh, were you just full of spit and vinegar? Well, I should say piss and vinegar and, made it happen what was that what was that transition like i don't know i think i'm too i would probably be more successful in certain areas if i wasn't either they they say you're averse to risk but i think it's also like just dumb (laughs) like i'm too dumb to know that some things are a bad idea yeah and i'm too dumb to know that you shouldn't be doing this all the time like i don't i never get burnt out i never get tired i have endless energy so when some people are saying you're, you're, this is too much, this is too much. You know, I, I, I'm too dumb to realize that. Yeah, you should pull back. So when I said, no, I'm going to start a company that does this, and in the mornings I'm going to go over to this guy Wayne's Wayne White's house, and I'm going to make a documentary about him. Like I didn't know that was not right. a good idea. It, it was, it was a good, it was a great idea. But I think the company, all my business endeavors would probably be bigger had I not skipped off to make feature documentaries. But I wouldn't be where I am now if I hadn't, you know, there's a whole, you know, yeah, there's domino. Whole, yeah, there's a whole rhythm and sequence to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you just reminded me, and this is actually maybe a great sort of point to segue into yeah. this content topic because um, Patrick Jager, who is a consultant with us for a while, he's mm-hmm. now uh, VP of programming at NBC Universal, And he was presenting to a group at Promax that we were speaking to. And he was talking to this room full of owners who do promo and design work for networks. And he asked everyone, who here wants to get into content? And guess what? How many hands do you think went up? All of them. Yeah, all of them. Everybody's hand goes up. Oh, I want to do content. And what his encouragement to them was, I actually love that this room full of people have no idea what you're doing. Because your ignorance is actually placed to your advantage. Because if you go into the real screen world and the MIP and the other worlds, he's like, that those worlds are so defined. There's rules. There's expectations. But you guys don't know any of that. And you're going to just bust something out, create something, make something happen that other people are going to be like, 
but you can't do that. Yeah. And that sounds part of like what your story has been like. For sure. And another, um, uh, that's great. And another thing about my story is that when I made my first documentary, it's called Beauty's Embarrassing. It's about this guy named Wayne White, who was an art director for Pee Wee's Playhouse and Beekman's World and Mm -hmm. made Smashing Pumpkins videos. He's this, and now he's a fine artist and sells paintings all over the world. One of the most cool, inspiring people I've ever met in my life. When I did that, I didn't know I was making content. I was making a docu. I was make. I was telling a story about Wayne White, and that's all I cared about. Right. I didn't know it was content. I, th- right. I didn't. I didn't think, oh, this is gonna be content. This is gonna be. This is gonna get me in the content game. <laughs> I just wanted to make it. And then one day it became good. And then six months later, it got into South by Southwest and sold to PBS. And all of a sudden, oh, I get to make documentaries now. Dude, that's so interesting. I love that. It's not even necessity. You know, necessity is the mother of invention. It's just more like you created something that you thought was cool. Yeah. And you did it at a really high level and you said, I really like this. And lo and behold, other people liked it too. Not even a high level. <laughs> <It's well, here's, laughs> I didn't know any better. And so I, I, I bought a little Canon Vixia camcorder thinking, oh, I'll just get anything and start shooting. And I shot it, mostly that, mostly by myself. And it looks good. It looks mm-hmm. pretty good. I'll pat mm-hmm. myself on the back that it looks pretty good. I did a good job. But funny story, when I was at South by, South by Southwest, I went to the Canon booth. They were, they had a, it's a trade show, so there was a big Canon booth with like 20 Canon cameras all over the wall. Sure, the big ones. Yeah, and I go over there, and I'm looking around, and the guy says, hey, do you have a camera you're looking for? And I said, yeah, the one I shot my documentary with, it's going to premiere tonight in the big room. And he goes, oh, which one? And I said, the Canon Vixia. And he looked at me, and he goes, What? Why? Why did you do that? And I was like, whoa, what do you mean? <laughs> he right, goes, that he, is not the camera to use. Sure, he's like, I've got the C500, the C300. Why didn't yeah. you shoot with these cine, cine lenses? <laughs> oh, man, he was furious. Um, but again, like, you know, it's naivete. It's not knowing, but wanting to do something so badly. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I think I just watched the Steven Soderbergh film that was shot all on iPhone. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, okay, that was a cool film. Nothing, yeah. Nothing wrong with it. Yeah, they, that's the thing. The thing, I, the documentary thing. Uh, the, the best advice anyone will give you is get good sound. Mm. You can put sound over a black frame, and it, people will listen. That's and, and funny. You can tell a story with sound. Picture, yeah. There's this. There's this. All this desire to use the best cameras and make it beautiful and make it amazing. Um, and that's great. Have that desire. But at the end of the day, it's storytelling. You know, you can tell a story with anything. So that's like VHS great... to me is now a beautiful, wonderful medium, mm-hmm. you know, because it has a whole storytelling in just in itself. So whatever tells your story. So I'm curious because I'm thinking of that room full of owners mm-hmm. and every hand goes up. Everybody says, yeah, I want to get into content. And the reality is very few do. Mm-hmm. And part of what I'm hearing in terms of your lesson is that you didn't really go a traditional route. You were just creating, you were making, you just sort of were on fire about a particular topic and Mm -hmm. you went and did it. So when other owners, someone that runs a motion design studio or an animation company or, you know, a commercial production company says, yeah, yeah, we want to do content and they're going down what I would call maybe that traditional path. What's, what is your, encouragement or or wisdom that you share with those types i i I try to be encouraging i got in trouble at a i was talking to a bunch of students one time and one of them said what's your advice i want to make a movie and i said well it's the classic just do it like that is good advice just do it go out and get a camera because they're cheap and we all have edit systems um and i said you could do like i did i told my whole story and at the end of it i said but all of you probably won't 
and the teacher was like, hey, 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 someone. And I said, all right, well, I've been doing this for a few years. I wish one of you would be the first one to walk up to me in a year and say, I did it. I made a movie. This is it. You can watch it here. But it doesn't happen because it's hard and it's painful and it's expensive. You know, here's the, here's the truth about me. Until I'm working on a job right now where I get to make content and I'm being paid for it. I mean, I didn't get paid for my for three feature documentaries and I paid for two of them. Well, um, I made it all back, sold them all. It all worked out. We're in the black on everything. But I made three movies and spent six years doing it for free. And it's hard and it's time consuming. And again, I will admit my business, my graphics business would probably be a lot bigger had I not done that. Well, sure. Um, you would have been but, focused, right? You would have been yeah. focused on being a killer promo house or whatever, trailer yeah. house or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. So that's actually really good to hear. Um, it may not be the most encouraging <laughs> yeah. thing, I know. but I love the reality check because um, it's funny. I was actually just on um, uh, the future Chris Doe's show. Oh yeah. And I know Chris. Yeah. And, and of course, and he's great guy. He was yeah. encouraging a lot of the younger people who compare themselves to other people in the industry mm-hmm. that are at the midpoint, maybe even pinnacle of their career and go, Oh, you know, I, I just can't compare. I'll never, I'll never get there. And it's like, well, you know what? We've all spent years, you know, I ran my studio for 20 years and you know, when I quote made it, mm-hmm. everyone was like, wow, how do I do that? And I would tell people, Hey, it only took me 10 years to be an overnight success. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So the, trying to say that that point that you reached of, hey, I did these three feature docs. They sold. They made money. I'm in a good place now. I'm getting paid to create content. It's hard to go back and really express what it was like when you were doing the first one, the second one, and you were putting the money out there. The time obviously must have been just hellacious in terms yeah. of what you were. Because oh, you yeah. were running a motion design graphics company and doing feature docs that were not being, you weren't making a penny off those. Luckily I had people working with me that were so supportive and so invested in what I was doing and so good at what they do that they did keep the lights on. Um, but the, the, the one, there is advice I can give that's sort of based on that is having once the advice, I made a movie about Dan Harmon, you know, Dan Harmon is Mm -hmm. he's Rick and Morty and community. His advice is always for a writer, uh, get through that first draft. Mm, Make it awful. Just get through it because typing the end is the hardest thing you can do. (laughs) So it's true. Like having just getting through one one feature and going through that process and realizing, oh, I can do this. I can get this done and I can get it into a festival and I can sell it like you meet all these people. So that's really the advice I would give. And whether it's a five minute short or a 30 minute thing or a feature, just do one thing and get to the end and go, okay, I can do that now. I've got to do that. that advice. I'm thinking of my daughter and her directorial debut yeah. was a 48 hour film project. Oh wow. And the beauty of those 48 hour film things is in 48 hours you freaking are done. You have something. Yeah. And it's a, you know, 3 5 whatever 10 minutes short, but at least like you said there's a the end. Yeah. Yeah. So that somebody can actually consume the thing rather than well here's a cool shot or I'm I'm in, you know, I'm still shooting, I still need footage, I'm still editing whatever. It's like if yeah. you can finish something yeah. You've made a huge accomplishment. I mean, there's that line, things are never finished, they're abandoned, which is true. <laughs> right. I mean, I, you could you could go back and is work. Is that a I'm thing sh- in the doc world? It's in, I mean, I think it's in all art, you know, but I think you, you could probably go back to things you did 20 years ago and go, ah, if we just did this, you uh, know, right? Well, yeah. No, I can count on one hand the number of projects that I ever worked on that I would say that was, yeah. like, I really wouldn't change anything. But I probably did 400 projects yeah. in 20 years. So. Yeah. 
the, the times that you finish something and you're completely proud and done, it's almost non-existent. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, Amazon hired me to do a six-part series, and I've never done that, and they knew that. And I was very, you know, so I'm learning. And every day I remind myself that even though things are hard and it may not be going exactly how I want, although some things are going, it's going really well, mm-hmm. I keep reminding myself every day, I know now I know how post works. Now I know how what this guy does, or now I know what this person over here does. So I'm always learning. So getting ready, you're just all preparation. So just reminding myself that if I just, if they don't tap me on the shoulder and kick me out, <laughs> like every day that doesn't happen, which is always in the back of my mind, then it's one more day that I get some more information about that I can use the next time I do it. Well, I appreciate the the honesty there. You know, there's a level of transparency called, you know what, I don't have all the answers <laughs> and I'm still learning on the job. Yeah. But but that's okay because I'm figuring it out and I'm going to deliver something really great. Yeah. Um, and you're talking about Amazon. So, you know, is it is it true you don't have to have it all figured out? You don't have to be have well, all the answers? No, I mean, you have to have, well, you have to have a vision. You have to know what you want. And yeah. you, that's the one thing. That's that's the director's job. Direct Every director has to walk on set and know what they want. And when they ask, some, they, they, they're asked a question, they have to say yes, no, or I don't know but they have to come up with something quickly. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you lose the confidence of everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, when I, when I say learning, it's just there's little details and little practical things that you that you figure out that are different in a six-part series than they were in a feature. It's just a different way of doing things. Yeah, I would think it's like a workflow and a Doesn't logistical. Work. And yeah, it, I mean, I made my last movie with, I shot it myself and with two editors, and now there's an army of people. Um, so learning how to use that army, like right. you know, uh, it's a different thing. And not that, not that I don't know what I'm doing. It's just every day you learn how to do it in partnership with other people and how to give people what they need, the information they need. It's a whole other workflow. But it all starts with it. You have to have a vision, whether it's just you and Gilbert Gottfried, like I was two years ago, or it's me and 40 people and sick comedians. Like It's just a different kind of thing. But at the end of the day, you have to know, like, okay, if I point my lens at that, it's got to be this, and then it's become this, and that's how it gets into a timeline. So, All right, so I'm curious if you can agree with me or disagree with me. And I'll play my hand here. That I think there's a very common myth, and I would love to hear if, if you want to bust this one. Because in the industry, there is this pervasive idea of, oh, I've got this really great idea for a show. And I don't want to beat anybody down, but I hear this all the time and I get approached and I fortunately get to say, Hey, I don't, I'm not really a a content guy. I work with studios and agencies that do short form and promo and commercial and so forth. But what I find is that the world's not really hungry so much for the next great idea that there's a lot more to it and that how it's developed, that the pieces and parts that really bring something together where you can stand in a room and pitch it it's more than just this clever idea oh yeah for sure it's all that's attached to the idea yeah and the the partners and the the strategy the whatever i'm just curious to get your perspective on that yeah no absolutely ideas are great but there's there's a lot of ideas you have to put like again like the idea i'm working on right now was was a, a very smart talented driven guy pitched it to a network they liked it and he said and i'm going to get this guy to direct i'm going to get this person to produce like he's he followed this idea which is just about stand-up comedy like it's not a concept it's just a you know it's just go follow these people but he said and i'm going to get these people to make it and that's why it'll be good so that's yeah the idea is one thing 
but you know, attach a star to it and then it becomes something else. Attach yes. a director and it's something else. Um, ideas are great, but yeah, go to someone and say, okay, now how do we make it big and look good? Well, I'm thinking of how, like in the classic feature world, you know, in Hollywood, um, there's great scripts. Just the, the, this town is just dripping with great scripts. Okay, but there's only a few scripts that have this executive producer attached to it, that have this A-list talent attached to it, that have whatever, this cause, this studio, whatever. And it's like that formula that comes together that creates that tipping point where you're in the room and somebody says, I can see it. Not oh, just yeah. the idea, but I can see how the whole project is going to come together and why this is a successful formula. Yeah, yeah. And there's also something amazing. Like, you know, people that do the promo side of things for us, it is really enjoyable to be on a big promo set or a big commercial set and seeing that many people that are good at what they do do their thing. So yeah, you, have, if you have an intense day. Yeah, it's right? it's so enjoyable for yeah, me. Yeah, it's so energizing. All the way down to the PAs to see people like DPs and grips and gaffers and, and wardrobe people and just see people that are just so passionate because most people on a set are working harder than their day rate. Yeah, oh, That's yeah. true. And that's, that's why they got the gig. And to see that energy and that precision is wonderful. And that goes back to your idea thing that if you have an idea and you can surround that idea that, that with people that are going to work that hard and that focused, like this, this thing I'm on right now, it's surrounded by people that are so good at what they do and so driven that it has to be good. Like it, you, it ha, it, you, the, the idea could be a, a mess, but you, you throw these people at it and it has to be good. So, well, I love the picture you're painting because I'm thinking if I'm someone who's going to participate in your project, mm -hmm. I'm going to invest or I'm a resource to you, whatever. When I see that passionate team of people, it's not just you because I could look at you and say, you're just a nut. You just have some crazy idea and you're running off half cocked, you know, who knows. But when I see you surrounded by a team of 10 or 20 or 30, whatever people that are on board with that, maybe you even have a following, you know, you might've created a pilot and there's thousands of people on YouTube that are fans of this thing, whatever. Like you're just making that interesting point, how really great projects are such an experiment in collaboration and building a movement and, you know, there's more, yeah, there's yeah. so much, there's so much to it. Well, it kind of goes back to that thing you're saying earlier about, or we talked earlier about just getting through one thing. Cause like, for example, if you, if your goal is to make a short film or a short doc and you make it and do the festival route, by the time you're done, you're going to know 30 more people that when you do sell an idea, you can say, Oh, and I met this, uh, DP at hot docs. And I met this writer at a festival where who knows who cares where, but you'll know, like get through that process. And when you sell your idea, you'll have that list of people that can make your idea real. That, that, that makes you trustable. People give you their money cause they'll go, Oh, you know, 30 people. Okay, great. <laughs> Wow, so all you have to do is know the know the right people, right? It, you know, yeah, yeah, it helps. You're like it helps, indeed. So think of someone that maybe runs. Um, I'm thinking of people that whether they produce animation, or maybe it's a commercial production company, and they're working on that thing. They have that thing on the side that they're they're shooting. They're constantly editing. They're animating, rendering whatever it is to try and bring that thing to life. Is the is the festival route like what you would call a very solid, whatever traditional or non traditional point of entry? Is that just one, yeah, approach? You know, it, that's just one approach. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can. There's so many ways of getting. You know, the internet is this this vast 
mm-hmm. expanse of places to put your voice out there and get people to watch. Um, festivals are great, though. I love them. The, I've thought about them differently from a strategy standpoint. Um, my first movie, we did 21 festivals. Like wow. it was a, it was insane. Mm-hmm. The second one, we sold it at South by Southwest. Did two more festivals, and that was it. Okay. This last one, we did one festival and did a couple because they were fun. Mm. Um, so I think if I if for the right movie, a festival run can be considered your theatrical. Right. Right. And that's where you get all, it's it's all marketing because every time you go to a festival, you're gonna do a little press. You're gonna meet. You're gonna show it to some people, but that's your marketing run. So when you're done, you'll have a little following. So for people that go that route where, you know, a lot of times the advice is build a following on the internet, you know, get your, get your content out there, get people excited about it. Um, but I know a lot of content creators that's, that are so used to getting paid to produce the next promo, mm-hmm. you know, to animate the TV commercial that their first thought is, well, I don't want to give it away. I want to make money at this. And it feels yeah. like they're in a way they're kind of killing the golden goose because if you're not willing to give it away first, then you'll never really get to the that long-term building that following that will long-term actually generate a return but getting paid for it like right now i don't care how good your content is there's just there's no version where you put up your animated show and say pay me 20 bucks to watch this thing and people are going to show up well that's i mean that's the advice i'd give myself i mean i could do a better (laughs) job and that's why i do things like this because i would like a following Uh because it's valuable dan Harmon's a great example i mean he has a legion of fans that will watch anything he does so every time there's a new CISO or whatever digital platform they ask him to to do something they pay him to make things Mm. because he comes with a million followers yeah um, there's a t- Bill Simmons is a great example of that. He built a following, and so now he's so valuable because he comes with two million people every time he opens his mouth. Um, so yeah, I, I could do. I don't have a lot of Instagram followers. <laughs> do you think you will put more investment of time and energy into building that following? Like, do you see that as a yes? I am working on that, or I will. I am working on that. It's a little different. I I got kind of go back and forth whether it should just be me or it should be like I I name my company a certain name because it is sort of a, a mantra that gets me out of bed in the morning. And I, I have the idea that a lot of people could attach themselves or, or, or believe in it. So mm-hmm. I kind of want to create um, a mythology and a, and, a, and a story around the name, name of the company and create a media business. Um, so tell us that, tell us the story behind that because yeah. you ran Berkeley for how many, how many years was it called Berkeley? I started Berkeley in 2009. So almost 10 years. Okay. Almost 10 years. And then you were just telling me yeah, Berkeley is no longer the name. Yeah. Tell us about the change and what that symbolizes. Yeah, so Berkeley was always tough for me because, one, it's my name with no vowels, and that started to feel dated. Like, that was a cool <laughs> thing to do <laughs> 10 years ago. And I did it in a rush, and I liked it for a while, and it, it does look cool, and people like it. But it felt I felt so uh, attached to it. I felt it couldn't grow unless I did everything you yeah, know sure. and I wanted to grow and I wanted to give opportunity to other people and I thought well if I was a director or a producer why would I go work for Berkeley like that's that guy's thing right so I, it felt limiting it honestly felt very limiting so um, but I also started to tell myself this to convince myself of this concept of the future you and it's it's a very Tim Rob Tony Robbins like Oprah Winfrey thing to say go I, there Let's I, do I'm it. aware of that <laughs> but you know it's I I'm a typical creative. It's hard to get me out of bed sometimes. It's hard to get me motivated. <clears throat> and I had this idea of, well, someday I'm going to be 90 years old, I hope. 
and I'm going to have done all of these things. Not bucket list things, but things that improve myself. Languages I learned, relationships I had, travel I've done, movies I've made, work I've created. I'm going to have this long list of things, right? And if you think of time in a linear sense, this 90-year-old me is around right now. So every day he gets up and says, I'm not me unless you get to work. Wow. I do not have, the future you does not have this life if you don't start living it. Yeah. Right? So every day, I again, I'm not the most focused person sometimes. I'm not the most motivated. I have endless energy and endless curiosity, but I do need something to get me going. And, and when I remind myself that, oh, yeah, if I don't study Spanish for a half hour, I, and I won't be 50 years old and be able to speak Spanish, right? So and you if do I, have oh, that if I don't <laughs> If I don't take this scuba certification, I'll be 60 and will have not gone on 10 scuba trips. If I don't make this TV show, I won't have made three more TV shows. When I, I, I want to be someone who has this. It's, it's very bucket list, but it's more than that. Yeah. But it's a motivator to, to every day is an opportunity to create a version of you that you want to be someday. Well, I love that painting a picture of your future self because it, it's, it's a bit, well, it kind of reminds me of that general concept of if you put something out there, you know, the, the law of attraction and the universe. It's very real. Yeah, but that painting that picture for yourself and making it clear does create all of this, like it's almost like your subconscious is constantly working on it. You're, mm-hmm. as you move and breathe and, and go through life, having that picture always in front of you tends to bring things to reality. Yeah, we're getting in some really heady uh, territory yeah. here, but, but a uh, existential. It, it is getting, it's, it's fun though, you know, it, it, we're getting, it, this is uh, Oprah land, but right, uh, right, right. it's very true though, your brain doesn't know the difference between reality and not reality. Mm. You, it really doesn't. So if you start building these pictures in your head, the laws of attraction, the universe, here's a, I'll give you a great example of okay. this, right? This yeah. is a true story. I made my last documentary about Gilbert Gottfried. Right. And after, when I made the, the Wayne White documentary, Beauty is Embarrassing, there was a Pee Wee's Playhouse storyline. And I started to get really fascinated by comedians who lived as characters like Pee Wee Herman and Emo Phillips and Bobcat Goldthwait. Like, what, was, what are they really like? And finally, I realized, oh, Gilbert Gottfried, that's all he is. There's no other person. And so I started to think about that all the time. And, I, and with my editor, James Lesson, we would talk about it, like, what's he like? What do you think it'll be like? And I started to tell people I'm making a Gilbert Gottfried movie. For two years, I would tell people that. Never called him, never tried to reach his agent, never emailed him. I would just, what's your movie? Gilbert Gottfried. I just said it. Wow. As if it was real. True story, right? This has actually happened. One day, I was walking down 6th Avenue with Astra Dorf, who's a rep in our business. Everyone knows Astra. Walking down 6th Avenue with Astra Dorf. And she said, like everyone does, what's your next movie going to be about? And I said, it's going to be about Gilbert Gottfried. And she stopped and she looked at me and she goes, that's so strange you said that to me. And I said, why? He's, he's a comedian. He's famous. She goes, no, it's strange you said it to me because his wife is my best friend. And they live right over there. No way. Pointed almost like two blocks away. And she goes, do you want to meet him? And I had lunch with him the next day. I met his wife <laughs> that night. And six months later, she called and she goes, hey, Gilbert doesn't want to do this. But maybe just come out by yourself with your camera and we'll see how it goes. And I moved to New York and shot for seven months. And a year later, it was at Tribeca. That is a true story about, yeah, the, the, about most, the universe. That's the most awesome story <laughs> I've heard in a long time. Yeah. Crazy. Of all the people in the world, 
Gilbert Gottfried and Astrid Dorf. <laughs> so um, I, we have this expression that um, we love to say at RevThink, which is the best way to deal with the future is to create it. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, which is which is a fun, it's an optimistic point of view. Yeah. But it has that notion where I feel like creative entrepreneurs, especially of anyone in the world, get to wake up every day and go, what do I want to go create? Mm-hmm. I don't have to just react to what's coming at me. I can make something. And your story is like a killer illustration of that because you didn't say, yeah, someday I would love to make something, content. You didn't even say, I would love to make a documentary. You didn't even say, I would love to you know, meet Gilbert. Like you said, I'm, I am doing it. Not I would like to or maybe or whatever. You said, I am. And then the pieces start coming into place. Yeah, I've got I I I have a vision a vision board. I make a new one every. I start a new one every year, and I've got vision boards with Dave Grohl and Gilbert Gottfried and Garth Brooks, and these are all then and, and people I have gotten to work with. And I can't really tie Gilbert's the one I can tie to, right? But there are random events that put me in Gil, uh, Dave Grohl's world. There are random events that put me in Garth Brooks's world. You know, just. So putting I'll, it out there. I'll, I'll give you an example that just to, to validate what you're describing. Yeah. Um, so we had we had di- dinner in New York a few weeks ago. Um, this uh, event we call Cohort. Yeah. So it's a it's a group of creative entrepreneurs. So top studio owners, agency owners, production company owners, and our guest was Garib Seamus. He's the CEO of Ace Comic Con. So he okay. puts on a lot of the Comic Cons around the country, and he expressed exactly what you're describing. What he said was, it's amazing how he's a fine artist also, by the way. So entrepreneur, oh, creative wow. in several levels. But he said in terms of fine art, he would talk to artists and he would ask his artist friend, what are you doing? And they, what are you working on? And he would, and the person would always say, well, I've got a show coming up. I'm working on a piece. Oh, okay. He would see him again a year later. Hey, what's going on? Oh, I've got a show coming up. I'm working on a piece. And that's all they would ever say. And they would really never make headway mm-hmm. towards these bigger dreams and aspirations because it was always just right what's in front of them and Garib said you know what? I'm not going to say that even though that's true I've got a show coming up and I'm working on a piece he would tell people I'm creating the next installation for the new skyscraper that's going up on fourth or fifth avenue or whatever and I'm creating uh, a piece of art for Mercedes-Benz whether that's real or not Yes. Oh, <laughs> wow. Whether it's real or not. That's great. I love that. <laughs> because very much like you said, I'm doing a Gilbert Gottfried yeah. documentary. Yeah. He says, I'm doing this. Because what he's done is he stepped back and he said, you know what? Three years from now, there's absolute, absolutely no reason I shouldn't be able to do this, this, and yeah. this. So I'm just going to kind of claim it. Yeah. And it's, um, you, you know, the expression, fake it till you make it. Yo, we yeah, were talking about my, that one. My whole life. <laughs> um, yeah. There's a nuance that I like to add to it called Fake it, then go make it. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I like that. Which is, yeah, it's it's simply this idea of fake it means get clear about the idea. Yeah. Tell the world, yourself, everyone you know, I'm doing this, and then go do it. And also, we work in Hollywood. Like, we're not doctors or Wall Street people, so there's a lot of our lives where we go, someone says, hey, go do that, and you go, okay, I'm going to put the thing in the deal, and yeah, and it's and, and people, you're waiting for them to go, wait, well, no, no, but they don't. They always go, okay, yeah, you did it, good. Right, right, right. <laughs> there's like, tons of that. He actually, he actually went and did what I told yeah, him. Yeah, you did it? Yeah, because <laughs> they don't know either, you know? Yeah. Um, but one thing, I, I, there's also another part of that when you tell people, 
people are so afraid to talk about their ideas like oh they're gonna steal my idea no one's gonna steal your idea because it's hard to do but uh if you do tell people things out loud there's the one another great motivator is the shame of having not done it the next time you see them yeah sure. They, like I, i've got this thing about cuba that i've been working on for two years and it's it, i haven't been able to finish it because it needs time and money and all this stuff and i've been there twice shooting and and i'm desperately trying to to get it going but everyone i know knows that i'm working on it and they're all like how's the cuba thing and i have to say oh, it's you know bumping along like I, I desperately want to say, oh, now it's in this phase and we're doing this. But right. and there is this shame. But but it's a motivator. Every time they do that, I think, yeah, I need to get that going. You sure. Know? So yeah, tell us about some of the other crazy entrepreneurial ventures you're you're involved in because all of them have this common thread of create you know, creativity or serving creatives or the yeah, the common thread among all of them is and honestly there there are times when it hasn't gone well when I've made when I've worked on things like I like commercial art, you know. I like working for networks. I like working on commercials. I enjoy it. I enjoy making things because, in the back of my mind, I could be digging a ditch. You know, there's worse. Like my dad's cement mason. He poured concrete for thirty years. Yeah, sure. And I, I was a kid. Like, okay, never. I'm not gonna get my hands dirty. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but the the app thing just came out of another reason. I think you should do things is solve problems and do things that make your work better or your life better. And one day, and I think a lot of people that listen to this will understand this problem. I was talking to my producer and I said, how many phone calls and emails do you have to make to book this person? Because I see you on the phone all day. You're calling them all the time. You're negotiating back and forth. I mean, why can't we just see their calendar and know they're available or not? Like, what a waste of time. And, and he said, freelance editors and uh, mostly animators. Designers, designers, animators, yeah. producers, mm -hmm. grips. Uh, okay, you know. so crew even. Line yeah, well, you, you look at a production and a, a line producer on a production has to book 40 people. That's 100 phone calls and emails. Easily. And, and he said, no, I, I would love that. And I said, okay, we'll figure out how we can just see their calendars. And he and it, there's there's versions of this now and it, it sort of exists. But we we have built an app that allows you to look at your database and see who is available. You type in your dates, type in what you need, and your database of people you trust pop up. And if one's available, you hit a button. They get a message. Yes, I'll take the job. See you Monday. That's um, huge. Obviously, there's a lot more than that. But that at, a, at its core level, you'll be able to book the people you trust. You can search the world if you need to. But to me, I was like, I don't, you know. People always talk about message boards and, and job postings. I never do that. Yeah. And I hate getting 100 emails and reviewing reels. I'll do it if someone sends it to me and I trust them. I want to know if I, we book the same people for every job. Yeah. We all do. It's nice to bring in new people because you find new talent. But when you have a job, call the person I trust, you know. So I just, so we, we've built something that'll, that'll do that. It'll let us find who we trust. And if they're available, they get a message and they don't want to be called. Right. The artists don't want to be called. Right, no. <laughs> so that's that's the goal right now. Well, I'm guessing from the artist standpoint, think how cool that thing is because they are like, wow, if I s join this system, this app, I'm going to get a notification that says, hey, so-and-so wants to book you and they confirm it or whatever it works. And for them, wow, I just avoided three phone calls. I'm on set anyway, so I don't want to be looking at my phone, you know, trying to book my next gig. Right. Yeah. So it sounds like it's a really great win win from both sides. It'll manage the hold system, which is a big one. The big one for freelancers is the hold system. They really hate it. And my advice is, well, don't take holds. Um, right. But they have to do it. Uh, right. And our business is the only one that does that. Like my brother's in construction and he was like, well, we use, we'll use it for construction people. This is great. And I said, yeah, it'll do your holds. And he was like, what's a hold? What are you talking about? People sit around for free. 
Um, but it'll manage that. It'll take care of all that for you. But yeah. the biggest one that they is they want to know that work is going to happen. So, you know, a, a lot of bookings are so in the moment, but some people do have long-term things or things that start later or you can be held for later. So they want to look at their calendar and see at least a grade in area where work might happen. Right. And it'll help you do that. And it'll let you know, you know. And does it let you challenge? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it'll, it'll take care of all Yeah, that. for people that don't maybe understand the whole yeah. hold system, there can be first hold, second hold, third hold. Yeah. And, you know, I'm challenging that hold. And But it'll, it'll do that between the companies. You won't have to worry about it. If you wow. accept a challenge, yeah. the, 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 the app will have the companies deal with it and whoever wins gets you. And so does the app get into even uh, the handshake sort of agreement? Like eventually essentially yeah. okay so eventually, you're heading that way yeah it'll, it'll, be I mean, like a, it'll be like a binding agreement or booking i mean eventually yeah the, all the paperwork that comes with working um all the negotiations all the especially if you know the company all that will be dealt with mm -hmm. um you know hopefully someday even payroll and insurance but that's all down well the road. it's funny you mentioned that because that was my next question was like what about workers comp and what about you know, are you incorporated and do, do a yeah. 1099 you? Because someday down the road, yeah. that would be really powerful to be able to say, hey, this freelancer is in our system. He, We've got all of his documentation so we can cut him a check like snap. Yep. There's a whole uh, laundry list of things that this will manage. There's also a whole laundry list of legal and tax uh, issues with that. So, yes, well, we, we that is in the plan. But right now, we just want the functionality of seeing a calendar and booking someone. Right, right. Because that, that is the, um, the principal problem to solve. Yeah. Right now is how do we get from a hundred phone calls and emails yeah. down to, you know, an app that we go click, 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 yep. and we're good to go. And it does that. And it'll also allow you to keep track of who you hire. I remember what I've realized is most companies that do what we do keep their database uh, in an Excel spreadsheet. Sure. Um, or and some even like FileMaker Pro, which is crazy to me. <laughs> we hired someone one day about a year ago. And <sighs> the whole time I was like, man, this name sounds familiar. And the person showed up. And I looked at them and I thought, oh, yeah, we fired this person a year ago. But we had forgotten because they were on for a day and we didn't keep good track of it. So this will track all of your notes and how you feel about people. Or if they're amazing, oh, this person's amazing. But they did show up and I thought, oh, this is awkward. Right. You're like, wait a minute. You're we had the to person, ask this person we said, to... please don't come back. <laughs> and here they are because you just yeah. didn't keep good records. Yeah, yeah. It was, our, it was our fault, but this will make that a lot easier. So it's very, very – and it does it. It does what it's supposed to do and we're testing it out now. And I'd love – if you're listening, call me. I'd love to, for you to test it out. Yeah, so um, that's a good, good question. How do people get in touch with you? How can they find out about your uh, the, about your company, about yeah. the app? I mean, what what are the sort of points of contact for you? Yeah. Oh, so one thing you did want to talk about, Riff, I may um, is we are also with our company going from Berkeley to becoming Future You Media. We are becoming a content company, but we're not throwing out the baby with the bathwater. We still are doing uh, servicing clients that are on the broadcast side. On the commercial side. So you're doing They'll, promos, you're doing commercials. Promos, commercials, broadcast package, still doing it. Some things are starting to be less and less. but okay. um, And not that we want to be all things to all people, but at our core, there are things that we do and enjoy doing. So there, we are sort of building a studio that can create content and create movies and at the same time still be able to service. Because a lot of the clients on the marketing side for broadcasts are doing content. That's what I was just going to ask. Yeah. Because I'm especially, I think, when, of the ad sales world where you know, TV networks bring a brand to the table yeah. and they say, oh, you know, is there anything we can do besides just doing another spot? Yeah. And you guys are starting to create more and more of that Absolutely. content. Yeah, definitely. We're, we're, it's, a, it's a lot of stuff. We're pitching a lot of stuff right now that is <clears throat> instead of doing a 30 second spot, they want to do complimentary content that 
feels like a show they have, but it is sort of yeah. like tangential. And is that multi-platform stuff as well? Is it always like yeah. it's going to go everywhere? It's, it's not gonna just go broadcast. Every- exactly, yeah. Wherever they'll, like, you know, there's things we're, we're pitching right now that will go on Vimeo and Devour and YouTube and Facebook. It'll just live everywhere. Um, and it's short form. It, it's content, but it, it's they're commercial. They're they're definitely promoting something, right? And but they tell a story, and there's characters, and there's. Empathy. So I'm guessing those types of projects are all still uh, those are work for hire type of arrangements. Oh yeah, yeah right, right. For sure. um, and then when you start developing content of your own, that's where you're building something that you're going to own or principally own yeah. down the road. Yeah, I mean the the model for us is. Uh, not the content base, but the model is like a vice media mm. to be able to sell content, um, have a platform for your own content, develop your own content, license content. Like right. they've, th- that model they've created for what they do. Say what you will about the actual content, but <laughs> but uh, that model that is business model. It's a very well. If, correct me if I'm wrong. Can you can actually if you're a brand, you can approach Vice and say, "Hey, absolutely. here's a check. Produce content for me." Absolutely. Yeah. Which is, you know, when you think about that, that's very, very different than a traditional TV network or sure. cable sure. channel type of business model. Yeah, I mean, they've just been able to do a really great job of getting paid to do what they do by a lot of different people. Yeah, I mean, they get paid by brands, they get paid by networks, they get paid by subscribers. I mean, they get paid to do what they want to do, and that's they just get that's paid a, every which way. Yeah, they do. It's a again, it's a very enviable place to be, and there's a lot of you know different places that do that, but they've done a nice job. So I have to plug, we did an episode, um, maybe five episodes ago, we had uh, Megan Kirsch, who is the CMO of Vice Land, mm-hmm. um, on the podcast. And it was really interesting hearing her perspective, how they are such a challenger and such this kind of instigator crazy thing, and how their model is so built on, we're just trying stuff. Yeah. I think she had a much crazier word than stuff but um <laughs> yeah they were they are very much in that like that sounds cool i th- i would love that i think our audience would be into it let's go do it yeah and it may be something like let's go buy a bus and drive across the country and sell t-shirts out of the back of it and capture the whole thing on camera yeah and that's a show or something yeah i, no, I don't I'd... know if you call it a show but it's a thing and people love it and there you go. Yeah, I mean, there is there is a point where you kind of want to at least have uh, not a brand, but a voice. You know, you want you want your your subscribers or your users to know what they're going to get to when they get there. So I I, w- I would like to keep a, like a, a, my eyes on that. But this whole future you idea, I do I do think there are going to people that will click with that will call and say, I'm going to do this. Can we work together? Because I, I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people. So what's the sweet spot in terms of people that you you aspire to collaborate with in that model? Are those uh, agencies that are going to call you? Are those brands? Are there ju- are they just individuals and you know directors and producers? Yeah, well, we're trying to. Well, it's no. I, I think as far as collaborate, I think um, I want to call them influencers, but people that are that are doing things that their mind and body are built to do mm. uh, trying to create lives that they want to live um, that those those are who we want to talk to inspiring people people that are very positive about what they're doing trying to put a good uh, mm-hmm. positive message out in the world and improve themselves you know that that, that Japanese theory of Kaizen you know Kaizen mm-hmm. um, so the you never know, improvement improve yourself every day people that are doing that um, and, and it's t- telling us how they're doing it and what they're doing. If they have an inspiring story or a good story to tell, we want to talk to those people. And then are the, who are the buyers? Who are the people that actually come to that, come to you and say, oh, wow, you have that talent or that personality, that influencer, yeah. if you will. 
we want to get on board with that. We want to back that. Yeah, I mean, is that right. a brand that's bringing you and saying, "Hey, we want to attach our brand to that." And here's a here's a check. Let's, right. Let's make this. Yeah, yeah. Right now, our focus is to create uh, shows and features for broadcast. Mm-hmm. Like right, our, our biggest focus on that side of the business is developing ideas that we can take to Netflix and Showtime and HBO. Um, that's where we are. But right. the, the brand side, that's sort of we are developing that because we. We feel like that's the next phase of our business is m- all the things that we're doing for these networks. Eventually, we will we'll take to the Fords and Bud Lights and yeah, sure. Patagonias. Which um, makes total sense, right? Yeah. That every major brand is, in a way, having – they have to evolve and become a, a content publisher, and they creator, will. channel, whatever. Yeah. Like, they're all channels on some level. Yeah, they will. And I, th- I think we'll, we're, we're getting past um, – the the idea of uh, integration, product integration, the grossness <laughs> of sponsored, you know, it's brand funded. They're calling it now. Uh, people are caring less and less about that. As long as this is the key, right? You can create a commercial for your brand, right? And it's you can call it a commercial, call it brand funded, whatever you want. But you can create something that is not doesn't need your product in it, doesn't need your mantra in it. But if the values of that content meet the values of your company, your audience will, it will resonate with your audience. They'll understand that this thing feels like this other thing I love, right? That's the key. You don't, and you don't have to have your logo all over the place because your values are what make your company what, what, they, what it is. Yeah. So if your content is values-based, that's important. So you've done this a time or two. Uh, I want to do it more. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That's my that's my message. That, that it'll catch on eventually. So, well, man, this has been such an interesting conversation. So, you now your your day job, you're like rolling up your sleeves and finishing your Amazon yeah. series, right? Yeah. How much How much further do you have to go? Uh, we've got a couple more months of editing. Very proud of it. It's good. It's what it, well, the idea is, and we can talk about it. Um, Amazon bought a, ser- a six episode docu series following comedians as they are preparing for Just for Laughs Montreal. There's a category called New Faces. It's a showcase. Okay. Uh, uh, unknowns go do it. 20 unknowns. And we followed around nine people, and, and several of them get to go. Can't say how many. Uh, it's very exciting. And there are people on this show that are going to be very, very famous. Like Kevin Hart did it. Wow. Amy Schumer did it. Chelsea Handler did it. Uh, Daniel Tosh did it. Like it's, it, it is a launching pad. Right, it's a killer precedent there. Yeah, and I know there are people on this show right now that are going to be household names. Oh man, that's so exciting. Yeah, for sure. So when you when you wrap uh, your all of your posts and and start delivering the episodes, what when when will we see it on Amazon? What's that timeline look I'm, like? I'm told first quarter next year. Okay, next year, February. That, and is it just a working title? Is there anything that people can be looking for, watching for? No, there's no title out there yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll just have to we'll have to circle back. Um, there's okay. a few. There's a few that are really, really good. You know, so yeah. it's like which of these great titles are we going to pick? Right. So, well, that's maybe a good reminder for me to circle back and say, how yeah. do people get in touch with you so they can stay tuned yeah. and find out? Oh yeah, that Amazon show. I gotta I gotta keep my eyes and ears open for that. Yeah, Instagram and Twitter. I'm Neil P Berkeley. Uh, N-E-I-L-P-B-E-R-K-E-L-E-Y. Okay. A lot of, like the city. Neil P. Berkeley. Yeah. Um, that's Instagram and Twitter. The company's uh, futureumedia.com. Okay. Future U, just U like it sounds. Media.com. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, and also the, the Future U Media Twitter and Instagram. So if we're lucky, this episode will blow up and you'll just have thousands and thousands of Instagram followers 
And yeah, then, and then you'll be that. Then you'll be that influencer that you were saying I need. Yeah. To, I need to become. <laughs> yeah, follow me on Instagram. You can see pictures of me and Hank Aaron. I flew with Hank Aaron last week, and oh, it was like awesome. a highlight of my life. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. that's fantastic! Yeah, people are very jealous of that. <laughs> well, dude, thanks for being not only uh, a brilliant, I think, uh, creative entrepreneur, but for being generous oh, and sharing yeah. your thoughts and your ideas. Because I know there are so many guys and girls out there running creative companies that aspire to, whoa, how do I make that shift? How do I get in there? And I hope you've yeah. given some people some really good inspiration and some good ideas too. Yeah. And please, I would love to talk to you about it. I love talking about this. I love seeing people do it. So do not hesitate to reach out. Awesome. Thanks again. Thanks, man. You've been listening to the Rev Thinking Podcast. For more free resources, updates on upcoming events, or to learn how RevThink consultants advise creative entrepreneurs, please visit RevThink.com. I want to tell you about a place to connect that you might not know about. It's our online community called Rev Community. It's a great place to get to know other creative business owners like yourself, to share some thought leadership and read other encouragement, to be challenged in this new marketplace, new technology, ideas, economic trends, and it's a place to research. Check out many of the resources we have online, our videos, and of course, this podcast. Join us today at revthink.com community. If you're a creative studio owner, feel free to join us today at revthink.com slash community. I look forward to seeing you there.